You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. I'm going to call up Dave Vanderplug, uh, one of our elders. Um, been voted the best-looking elder three years in a row. Uh, so, and he's lost like 50 pounds or something since last year. Just going to make the Santa Claus video that we did of him last year harder. Um, but we'll we'll figure it out, Dave. I'm going to have you do something because I'm going to talk about something. If you could just stand like this, about that low, like just just with your thighs even and go down as low as you can and I'll get back to you in a little bit. All right. I want to, I want to tell you guys about something I have struggled with in life. Okay. It's called people pleasing, people pleasing. And when I was young, I wanted to get a camera on this. When I was young, I wanted to fit into the crowd. And so I would, I would try to please people, right? I wanted to fit into the cool crowd. Uh, I wanted the respect and the admiration of my peers. I wanted to succeed at sports and school. You okay? Yeah. Uh, stuff like, no, no chairs, no chairs. That, that would ruin the whole thing. Uh, because it was good, not, not because those things were good, but because I wanted that resonate builder. I wanted those things that would make people think highly of me. If Facebook had existed at that time, I would have been posting and watching those likes. Come on. You, can, you got it. You got, you're a, this, is a, this is the leading uh, assist guy in the entire country. He holds the record, Dort College Soccer, for what, what was the year, 1990 or something? 1990. Look, this is, this, is, this is an athlete. He can do this. All right. If Facebook would have existed, I would have been watching those likes come in by the minute, right? I had been told that God loved me, but I didn't fully believe it because I kept looking, at, looking for it in other <laughs> places. You'll see why this is important in a minute. And I still struggle sometimes with that. Just do what you can do. Do what you can do. (laughs) Wanting to fit in, wanting people to think highly of me. But eventually God showed me through good teaching that the problem was that I was looking to other people for my value and that they could never stand under that kind of pressure. And I've put Dave up here as an example to see that you can go. You're okay now. Give him him a hand. He, He did well. Down. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't fall. Go lay down over there. You can see that as Dave is sitting here trying to stand up, <laughs> somebody's heading to McCain. That's great. He's still got to pack up after this, Dave, so I don't want to hear about it. Um, as Dave is sitting here struggling under the burden, that's an analogy for what it's like when you're the one who's responsible to make somebody feel valuable to make somebody feel like, like they're special or whatever if, they're, if the person is looking only to you for that. No one can stand under that kind of pressure. And that's something that I, that I learned. The weight is too heavy. The weight is too heavy. People can't bear the load of being the one who has to give you value because only God can do that. Only God can do that. Eventually, people simply break down under the burden. They were not made for it. They were not made for it. But for some reason... Lots of us do this. Lots of us look to other people, and we put the weight and the pressure of gaining our own value on the shoulders of other people so we can feel like we're valued. But everybody who we do that with and all of ourselves and so on, it seems like we're all sort of faking. 
We're all sort of fakey. Let me tell you a couple of things that, that I read just really recently. Um, one is this thing that was done with these wine experts. I don't know if you've seen these studies or whatever where, you know, the wine experts, they're all, you know, they do the thing and they smell and they spit it in the bucket and the whole thing. And they're, oh, the bouquet is Tide Pods and Summer Breeze, you know, whatever, right? They're, they're, they, they can do all that stuff, right? Rosemary and the wind from Greece and whatever I can smell and this, whatever, right? It smells like grapes. And rotten grapes, actually. Um, but who's counting? Anyway. These people are experts, right? They're connoisseurs of wine, and so you assume that they can tell the difference between some measly two-buck chuck wine, right, and a $2,000 of special whatever, right? You assume that, and they say that. But what they've actually found is sometimes they'll take these people and they'll give them the same wine and tell them it's two different things. And these experts on wine will give completely different ratings to the different wines, even though it's the same wine. Or they'll take a white wine, and then they'll take another glass of the same white wine and put red food coloring in it and give it to them. And one will say, oh, yes, this is a red with the fragrance of blah, 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 blah. And it's not. It's the same one you just had over there. And so the point is, is that, that even these people are faking it. Why are they faking it? They want you to like them. They want you to think that they're good at something. There's something very snobby about being a wine connoisseur. No offense if that's you. But there's something about when you're like, you know, there's something about that, Right? Monsieur, uh, another, it's, it, there's something very, I'm above, right? You want to do it because you want to feel good. They just did a thing, Payless Shoe Source. You're familiar with Payless, right? It's a discount shoe place. I think there's one right over on 192nd. Down in L.A., they decided to sort of do an experiment. And they, and this was just recent, I think it was like last week. And they, they said, we're going to fake that we have this Italian designer shoe store. And they called it Palessi. Okay, and so they made this. They went to like an Armani store that had closed, and they and they called it Palessi, and they paid a stipend to a bunch of uh, social media influencers to come to the opening and whatever. So all these social media influencers come, and they you know they they put on the show that this is all very fancy, this is all very designer Italian stuff, and and they're showing them twenty dollars shoes, right? And, when, and at least one person I think bought a pair of twenty dollars shoes for six hundred dollars. Right, because they're saying, oh, look at the styles, and I just can't believe it, and it's just so amazing. And it's like, dude, this is pay less, bro. But you don't know, and you want to be liked, and you want to, and you want to fake it so that people will like you, and they'll think you're smart, and they think you're an influencer. The people who are literally telling us what's cool can't tell the difference between a pay less $20 shoe and a $600 designer Italian shoe, and neither can I. And that's the point, right? It's all a fake. Right? It's all a fake. It's people want to feel like they're cool. People want to feel like they're accepted, like they could do things that are important. Right? Everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to be loved and valued. That's normal. And we try to find all kinds of ways to find that love and that value. And the problem is we constantly fail. We constantly fail. We constantly are disappointed with people because they can't live up to that standard that we need to put us in the place where we feel valued. And so we're mad at our spouse or our boss or our kids or whoever. At the end of the day, what it really is is we're upset that we're not feeling valuable enough and we're blaming them for not doing their part to make us feel that way. But the problem is we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking in the wrong direction. At the end of it all, we are looking for something to feel valued and to feel special in a place where those things could never be found. They could never be found. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, for those of you who are joining us 
uh, for the first week in a while. This is, uh, we're going through a bunch of the letters uh, in the Bible that are written by Paul and his missionary journeys. Recently, we went through the entire book of Acts. I say recently, it was about two and a half years worth of stuff, and, and we got done with it about six months ago. Um, but we're going to go back to some of these churches that he went to, and one of them is the church of Thessalonica. And what we've seen is that Paul and Silas and Timothy are reminding the people, okay, they've left Thessalonica, they're writing them a letter, and they're reminding them what the apostles, what the believers, what the Christ followers were like when they were around them, when they were with them, okay? So pick up a Bible in the seat in front of you if you need to, or if you brought your own, open it up, or it'll be on the screen, um, but go ahead and grab a Bible and, and go with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 4 through the first part of verse 7. It says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak for, no, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. That's where we're going to stop. That's our passage for the day. Now, Paul is saying a lot of things. The first thing that he says that I find interesting, he says that they were approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Paul is saying God approved us to bring the good news. He approved us to do that. Now, you, you know, for any of you who have had to get like a driver's license, somebody's got to approve that, right? You got to go through the test. First one I did, I, I, I failed. Not, I didn't even drive. I got in. The e-brake didn't work. They're like, equipment fail. And I failed the thing. I was so upset with, you know, because you had to wait another two weeks or something to get your license. Um, this was in the 1840s, so it was, <laughs> no. the kids in front are like, yeah, that sounds right. Um, no, I'm not that old. Uh, you know, you have, you have to go, though. You have to pass that test, and you got to get that stamp of approval, right? If you have a certification for your job, you've got to be approved to do it, right? There's a certain thing that you go through so that you can get that approval, that stamp of authority for you to go ahead and do the thing that now you're able to do, whatever that happens to be. And they're saying that. We've been approved. We've been tested. We've been tried, right? We've been approved based on the level of maturity, faithfulness, and knowledge, and particular giftedness to bring the good news, right? These are the things that were necessary for us to be approved by God to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Thessalonians and others. It doesn't tell us exactly what the test was that gave these, these guys approval, but we understand that there was something that had to happen for them to have approval. Now, I'm not just talking about sharing the good news as in, as in talking to other people about Jesus. That's, that's something every believer is approved for. Every Christ follower is not only approved for it, ought to be talking about Jesus and what he's done for you and leading people to know Jesus. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about approval to bring the word in this case is they're bringing it across the world, planting churches, and they have theological authority to do so, okay? Now, when I was in, this is, this is an issue for some believers, and I, and I want you to follow me here because there's this tendency to get ahead of approval, to get ahead of of approval. You want to, you, you have a passion and a heart to do things for the Lord. You even feel a calling to do things for the Lord, but you're not there yet. You're not ready yet. It hasn't been approved. It hasn't gotten the check mark. It's not time to go yet. And there's a little patience that's needed. When I was in law school um, and I had made my way, you know, somewhat recently back to a vibrant life in Christ after some years of rebellion. And we were part of a church, and, and I was growing, and it was great, and I was loving every bit of it. And I had a clear understanding from the Lord at that time 
that I was not to teach. I just knew that I was not supposed to teach. Okay, instead I worked with two-year-olds. Um, I did I did all kinds of other stuff at the church. My wife and I we got involved. We did stuff. We 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 for years we were just there and available and learning and growing and taking and teaching and, and doing all those kinds of things. But I did not teach. I had not been approved to bring the gospel in a pastoral way or from the pulpit or in a life group or anything like that. I just stayed away from it. I didn't teach. And it was not until years later of growing in the Lord and getting further along in maturity that God allowed me to begin teaching the Word. It took a long time. And one of the reasons for that is what we're seeing here in this passage. Okay, One of the reasons for that is that teachers have temptations, particular temptations that are unique, not unique, but come up a lot with those who teach. Paul is actually going through this list of things they didn't do, but the reason he's saying they didn't do it is because so many teachers did do them. There's a lot of things that could happen, and so God has to approve you. That means you have to have gone through a certain amount of time so that you have the ability to, to come against those kinds of temptations that are going to come at you as a teacher, okay? And so uh, these are the things that he talks about. People-pleasing, people right? People-pleasing, trying to make other people happy. Flattery, flattering people to get something from them. Greed or covetousness, wanting people's stuff, Glory-seeking, wanting lots to be made of you, and power-seeking, wanting to have authority over other people. These are all temptations that come to teachers, and you, can probably, you probably may have people in your mind as I'm saying those things. Yep, that's that one. Yeah, that's that one. You know, whatever. And you're thinking about the different people in your life who, who may have these issues, who may be tempted to these issues. And so that's why they had to be approved to do those things, because all these things that they're talking about are things the Thessalonians had seen in the different philosophers and religious teachers that had come into town. And Paul is saying, listen, we weren't, we're not like that. I'm not like that. That's not how we came to you. We didn't come to you with those problems. So let's go through the problems one by one that he's saying they didn't come with. He says, we were not people pleasers. Not people pleasers, but God pleasers. Not people pleasers, but God pleasers. Paul is saying that the ministry in Thessalonica was not about pleasing people. It wasn't about making people feel good. That's not what it was about. It was about pleasing God. Now there are a lot of people who struggle with people pleasing, right? Some call this fear of man or fear of people. You, you always want to make people around you happy. You always want to please other people. You don't like conflict. You don't like difficulty. You don't like the idea that anyone could not like you, right? And, and so you want to please people. What we're talking about earlier, you want to be popular. You want to fit in. And we seek to please people because sometimes we feel that we need the approval of other people in order to feel valuable ourselves. And here, the contrast is important that Paul makes. Uh, they were approved by God, not by people, and so they had to please God, not people. He was approved by God, obviously implied as not by people. And so he says, we came as pleasers of God, not people pleasers. And that's our job as Christ followers. We need to please God, not people. Why? Because our value, our approval, all of those things comes from God, and so he's the one we should worry about pleasing, not people who could never give us value or approval. Those are not the people who we should be pleasing. But the problem is that many, many, many of us do not live in the reality of this truth. We do not live in the reality of this truth. I want you to listen to something. Listen. God loves you. God loves you. He has not only said that, but he's proved it with the blood of his son. He loves you. You are infinitely valuable. That's what's true. There shouldn't be anywhere else that you need to go for your value than that. 
what he has said and what he has done. Nowhere else should you need to look for your value but in those things. I'm not saying it doesn't feel bad when people don't like you. Of course it feels. If my wife and my kids were like, we don't like you anymore, you're the worst, and you smell bad, I would be like, okay, that last part's true, but the other part I'm really very sad about, right? You're going to be very sad. It's sad when people don't like you. I'm not saying that you wouldn't be sad. It wouldn't make you feel bad. But if it makes you feel valueless, that's a problem. We're going to circle back to this. There's, there's more that's going to come that's going to, that's going to be connected to this sort of people-pleasing thing. So I want to kind of go back through and we'll come back around. Um, but I want you to think about this, this question as we walk through the rest of this. Would you rather learn how to work hard enough, learn how to work hard enough to make everyone like you and approve of you? Or would you rather learn how to not need everyone to like you and approve of you? Would you rather learn how to do all the work so that every person likes you and approves of you. You're getting that Facebook likes galore. Ding, 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 ding. You're getting it all day. Notification, notification. Everybody likes your stuff. Everybody likes you. You smell good. You look good. Would you rather learn how to work so hard that that could happen for everybody? Or would you rather live in such a way that you weren't worried about it? You didn't need other people's approval to feel good. I think it's a, probably a pretty obvious question, but I'm not sure. I'll let you think about it. They were not flatterers. Flatterers. Paul writes, for neither any time did we use flattering words. Now, there are a couple reasons for flattery, a couple reasons that people uh, use flattery. One is related to the last, last section, people-pleasing, right? The obsequious person, the, the bottom kisser, right? The person who comes around and flatters and flatters and flatters so that they can get the approval of somebody, right? So that, that person will be their friend, essentially, so that they can be in the crowd with that person. And for a lot of people, that works really well, at least for a time. If you flatter them, you can, you can get a long way. Flattery will get you everywhere, right, um, at some level. We have this desire to be approved by people who we've decided are the most important people to seek the approval of. And if you look at the, the way that we do that, it's really kind of a joke, the people who we choose to think we need the most approval from usually are the people who are famous or popular or rich or whatever. Oftentimes, the people who have the worst moral issues. Sometimes they're, they're the last person that could give you any, any good word or any good advice or anything else. And, we're, and we'll literally eschew friends, family, whoever, people that really love us, that really care about us, that really are important so that we can have the approval of other people. And those are the people who we choose because those are the people for some reason that we've said we need the approval from because they happen to be the kind of person who stands out or whatever it is. And so we seek to flatter. We seek to flatter so we can get their approval, right? Because they're popular or rich or famous or powerful. By the way, you all look very nice today. Stop it. Second reason for flattery is related to the next thing that Paul says they did not do. He said they were not covetous. They were not greedy for your stuff. We're not greedy for your stuff. We're not after what you can give us. We're not here for what you can do for us. We're not covetous. That's not what we're about, right? See, teachers would come into town in Thessalonica. they come in there, and they would, they would bring their philosophy, their idea, their religion, and they'd want to impress or have influence or get money from somebody. And so they would flatter. This was well known in the ancient world. It's no different than today. It was looked down on then just like it's looked down on now. But people used it then just like they use it now to manipulate. They use it to manipulate, to get something from the person who they're flattering. They covet something that they have. 
They covet something they have, whether it's their attention, whether it's their money, whether it's the power they can bring, whether it's the prestige they can bring, whatever it is. They covet something that they have, which Paul is saying, we were not covetous, but these other people were, and they would flatter in order to get that. Every player out there knows how to flatter to manipulate the opposite sex. Everyone, every pickup line ever written is an attempt to flatter to get something, oftentimes not something good. Right? Oftentimes the, the heart is not good in that. But people know how to flatter. Right? People know how to flatter. You flatter your boss. You know, you got that, that bottom kisser at the office. Flatter, flatter, flatter. Gets the promotion when you're actually working. And all that person's doing is, oh, you look so great today, boss. You're the greatest. You're the... And, you, and you think, you know, office politics, all that kind of stuff. People do that, right? You've probably seen that. People flatter to get a promotion. People flatter politicians. All that, oh, you're so amazing, whatever. Because they want to be in that circle or they want a position of power. This is as old as the Bible, at least. And as old as the world, probably. It is an ugly tool. It is an ugly tool of manipulation, and Paul was saying, we do not play that game. That is not what we were like around, among you. That was not why we were here. We don't play that game. And we ought not. We should not do that as believers. If you find yourself using flattery to manipulate someone, you are actually harming that person and your own soul. It's actually pretty serious. It's actually pretty serious. Because it's deception, which is lying. Plain and simple. You have an ulterior motive. And you're deceiving somebody. You're saying things that may or may not be true, but you're putting them in such a way to try to get something from somebody you're manipulating. That means that you're deceiving and you're lying. And here's the thing that you need to look out for. This can actually happen in the church just like anywhere else. This can happen in the church just like anywhere else, but it shouldn't. Now, I'm not talking about when you come in and these greeters told you, it's great to see you today. You look great. That's not what I'm talking about, flattery. I'm talking about the person who stands up here oftentimes will use a form of flattery and people pleasing in order to get something. It's unfortunate, but it happens, right? Because when you walk into the car lot and you, ex- and you see the salesperson, you sort of expect that they're going to tell you you look great and that this car is going to make your life amazing and all these kinds of things that you know they're buttering you up, right? And you know why they're doing that. They want to get a sale. No offense to car salespeople. We understand where you're at, but we at least come in with our guard up. Right? There are situations with salespeople and with things like that where we have our guard up. We know the person who comes to your door and they're going to sell you something. You have your guard up, right? You know that their intention is going to be to manipulate you, people please you, flatter you, whatever, to get you to buy their product. They want something from you, right? But you shouldn't expect that, that kind of flattering, people pleasing when you come to church because you generally don't prepare yourself for it and get ready for it. But let me just tell you something. For those listening who are checking out at church or watching this video online or who are in this room today who are walking through, you know, maybe you've moved into town lately and you're looking for a church, beware of flatterers. Beware of flatters because they're out there. I'm not naming names or saying I know of particular people who do this, but I know generally this goes on in Christ's church sometimes. Okay? There are people who are actually, I think they start wanting to do something good because we all want the church to grow. We want new people to meet Christ. We want them to get transformed, right? We want people to come in. We want them to, to be part of ministries and be able to do more work for the kingdom and so on. I think sometimes people uh, get sort of lost in that. Now, sometimes I think people just want attention or they want money or whatever, but that's obviously a different problem. Sometimes they just want the church to grow and they get lost in sort of an ends justify the means idea. And this is what happens. They start to sell Christianity. They start to sell it. They will tell you that Jesus loves you, but they will not tell you that he wants to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or stop getting drunk. They won't tell you those things. 
They'll just tell you about the fact that he loves you. They'll tell you that God thinks you're special, but not that your sin has caused you to be a broken person separated from God and that you need to humbly believe in and follow Jesus Christ in repentance and brokenness in order to be restored to shalom, to peace with God. They'll preach a, a Jesus that, frankly, the Bible would not recognize. And here's the huge problem with that. Here's the huge problem with people pleasing and flattery within the church. If they tell you something other than the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ commands, then they are people pleasing you. They're not loving you. They're flattering you. And flattery and people pleasing in any relationship is deception. It's deception and it's dishonesty. And deception and dishonesty causes a lack of transparency in relationship and ultimately a lack of trust in relationship. Okay? Those things in relationship eventually cause you to break out of relationship because you realize that it's not real and it was based on flattery, people-pleasing, and deception. And this is why preaching the Word of God accurately and seriously is so important. Listen, if we teach and preach a flattery, people-pleasing Jesus, we are not preaching and teaching the real Jesus. And here's the problem with that. If the Jesus you think you're in a relationship with is not the real Jesus, because it's a flattery, people-pleasing Jesus that we've preached to get more people into the building and more people into the chairs. We refuse to say the truth. Then that's a big, big problem. Because are you in a relationship with Jesus if the Jesus that I've told you about isn't the real Jesus? This is why we will not flatter you here. Okay, That might be tough, but we will not soften the commands of Jesus Christ so that you can be at ease. That's not our call. Why? Because we are to please God not people. We're not people pleasers. We have to please God. And here's the thing. God loves you. We please God because he loves you. And then we're not loving you. We cannot be loving you if we are not pleasing God. we got to be loving and pleasing God to be loving you. And loving and pleasing God is about telling the truth. Not manipulating, not flattering, not people pleasing. And so wherever, if you're the kind of person who is in this process of seeing where God's called them to a church, wherever you go, whether it's here or somewhere else, just make sure it's not a place where you like it because it's putting you at ease and flattering you and people pleasing you. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. This passage is about flattery. Listen, if you have a friend or a spouse or anyone in your life, where you can think and you say, I never hear anything from them that's hard to hear. I never hear anything from them that, ouch. You may have a flattery problem in your life. You may have a problem with surrounding yourself with flatterers. And if you can be manipulated by flattery, here's another thing. If you can be manipulated by flattery, if it works on you, it means you do not trust God enough. If it works on you, you do not trust God enough because the praise people give you should not move you any more than when people give you contempt. One way or the other, it should not move you in the way that you feel about your value. And if it does, then you're not trusting God for your value. See, flattery should never be a tool that you use. We ought not to use it as believers because you love people too much to deceive them. But it also should be a tool that is useless against you. Because all your value and strength is in one place with the Lord. That's how you should deal with flattery. What's the next thing? They say, not seeking glory. Paul writes, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. 
This is uh, directly related to the people pleasing and flattery stuff that we're talking about. And that Paul is telling the Thessalonians, we're not here to be famous and popular. At the time that, that this was going on, uh, these teachers that would come into town, these you know, different philosophers from different uh, philosophical schools and religious teachers and whatever, they'd come into town and they'd be seeking glory. You could become famous. Imagine that instead of you know, whoever the most famous rock star is, I don't know anymore, I'm very old, but whoever's super famous, movie star, rock star, whatever, instead of that it was the people who do TED Talks that were the very most famous people. That's what it was like there. Okay, there was no TV, there was no movie theater, right? So there was some drama and whatever. And then there were the people who talked. There were the talkers. And they could come into town, and if they did a good job, and they could speak eloquently, and they could do all of that, they could become very, very popular and famous. They could receive lots of glory from the people. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are saying, no, we didn't come for you to lift us up. We didn't come to seek glory from you so that we could be famous, so we could be the rock stars of Thessalonica. Okay? That's not why we're here. Actually, what we came to do was make someone famous, and that's Jesus Christ. We came here to as witnesses. Paul's a witness of the risen Jesus Christ, and he came to make Jesus famous, to make much of his name, but not to bring glory to himself, but to bring glory to Jesus. And that's a place where we have to always catch ourselves. What are we about in life? What's primarily driving us? Is it to bring ourselves glory? Are we looking to be famous? Are we looking to be looked at? Are we looking to be approved of and appreciated? Or are we looking to make Jesus famous? Are we looking to make much of his name? Because Paul is saying that's what it's about. We didn't, we didn't come around you seeking your glory. I don't want you lifting us up. You remember he had gone into a town and they had tried to act like he was a god. Right? There were Zeus and Hermes in the crowd's mind. And he's like, Whoa! Not me, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. That's what our life should look like. When things happen, when great things happen in our life, you graduate from school, you have a baby, you get, you know, there's a miracle and you're healed from a sickness. Whatever it is, right, you, you achieve something, it should always be not me, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. Not like you didn't do anything. Not like God didn't work through you. But, hey, if there's glory in this, I want glory to go to Jesus. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with being complimented. Just so you know, as we go through all this, there's nothing wrong with like liking to be complimented. See, because if you like to be complimented and you're healthy about it, then what you're saying is, I am glad that I've pleased this person. I love this person, and it makes me happy that I've pleased them. That's okay. So don't, don't think that any compliments, flattery, or any time you think about those kinds of things, it's a problem. It's not, okay? Being happy that you have pleased somebody that you ought to want to please, which is anyone, your neighbor, you should care about doing that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when you say, so I must be pretty amazing <laughs> that I please them. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you start thinking about, oh, what a good chap I am, right? Because he's English, so he says chap. But if you start doing that, then you've got a problem. But if you're just saying, I'm so glad. My wife says, oh, thank you so much for this. You were so great at doing this. And I'm saying, I'm so happy that I've pleased my wife. And it's about her, and I'm focused on her. If I'm focused on others, I'm focused on the Lord. It's okay. If I say, yeah, you know what? That was pretty amazing. It's not bad. It's never happened yet, so I haven't had to struggle with that one. Um, these, uh, these guys that would come into town, they were seeking to be famous. They were seeking power. They were seeking authority. They were seeking glory. The next one that we'll talk about is power and authority. He's saying we weren't seeking power. 
We're not seeking power. He says, Paul wrote, that they could have made demands as apostles of Christ. What he means here is that as apostles, they were the leaders of the church. God had approved them, remember? He had sent them. He had set them aside. They were the ones to plant these churches. They were in charge. They were the authority. They were authorities, and they could have used that authority. And that certainly would have been what these Greco-Roman people in Thessalonica would have been used to from the leaders that were around them. Jesus says in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, the Gentiles exercised authority over the people. They lorded it over them. They used their authority as an opportunity for pride, right? They liked to treat people like things, like they could just move them around like chess pieces. They loved that. They loved to feel powerful. Now, I don't know how many of you like that, but when I'm in a situation where I've got a boss or I've got a person or whatever, and I can see that they, and they have authority, and I can see they exercise that authority for the sake of exercising that authority and making themselves feel powerful. You see people in different positions of power who do this. I don't think anybody likes that, right? And nor did these Gentile believers in Thessalonica, right? They didn't like it either. And Paul's saying, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. We didn't come around you acting like that. We could have. We were in authority over you. We could have told you what to do, but that's not what we did. Instead, we did what Christ was talking about. We act like servants. We act like servants, not like your masters. We had authority, but we came to serve, which leads to the very last, last section where Paul writes, but we were gentle among you. Now, this is an interesting place in Scripture. There are some of these out there. We've talked about this before. We've talked about the reliability of Scripture and so on. Um, this is, there's a couple different ideas about the word that was used here. Neither one of them has a major impact on the theology, but it's interesting. One word is gentle, and that's apios. Okay, that's, that's the Greek word, apios. And then there's a different word, infant, which is napios. You just add an N to it. Okay? And so the earliest manuscripts seem to have the N. And then the question is, is it gentle or does it mean infant? Gentle or infant? Now, here's the deal. I personally actually go with the translation infant, even though the Bibles in your chairs will say gentle, and many of your Bibles uh, will say gentle. Some of them you'll see early manuscripts say infant or child. Okay, And I think the New Living Translation uses child also. Um, and, and, and I go with that because I think that the first part of verse 7 is actually finishing out this section before he starts talking about the next analogy that we'll get into next time. He's finishing out this section. He's saying, we were like infants among you. We were innocent. We weren't there for power or glory or greed or any of these things. We were innocent like babies. We were like innocent babies among you. At the end of the day, you have nothing you can accuse us of because our hearts were pure. Our hearts were pure. We were innocent like infants among you. We treated you well. We were there with godly motivations, godly motivations, and godly methods. That's the deal. Now, here are a few thoughts for us to take from the scripture. One, jumping kind of back to the beginning, we need to work hard to be approved by God. We need to work hard to be approved by God. That means we need to mature and be patient in doing the things that God has called us to do and in growing into positions and, and roles of greater ministry opportunity. We need to be ready 
but we need to be patient. We need to make sure that we're mature. We need to expect, though, expect, and this, and this is across ages. I know some people are very young and they think, well, God can't really use me now. I'm so young. You know, what can I do? People don't respect young people at all. Well, that's not true in the church. And then there are some people who have gotten not young. Um, and they think, I'm older now. There's only so much time left. What can I really do? I'm just kind of writing it out, right? But that's not the way the church looks at you either. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. You need to expect that God is going to use you to do big things for his kingdom. As long as you're breathing still, he's going to use you to do big things for the, for the kingdom. Ed Bauer is back there teaching at 94 years old, right? He literally has been sick. Yeah, give him a hand. He's been so sick that he's basically had to sleep all week and he gets up so that he can have enough energy to come and teach that class on Sunday mornings. That's where he's at in life. And yet he's still making an impact for the Lord at 94 years old and 119 pounds because of how sick he's been. Pray for him that he gets better. But use him as an example in your life. He's going to go until he's not breathing. And you should do the same. Expect that God is going to use you to do big things for the kingdom and listen for God's calling on your life and be ready to go wherever he calls, whatever that is. Paul's approval from God came with a calling. Approval came with a calling to preach the gospel, the good news, to plant churches all over the world. Yours may be the same. It may be different. But there is an approval and a calling in your life. And you're progressively, progressively being approved for, for bigger and more and more and more things in terms of your ministry. And your calling will be sure. And you need to be ready to go, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy were. Number two, we have to stop being people pleasers and flatters. We have to stop that nonsense. We have to. We can't live like that. It will, we'll, never, we'll never make it. I'm going to read a few verses here. John 12 42 through 43, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Okay, this is about Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These people wouldn't confess Jesus because they would be ostracized. And they were more interested in having people think they were cool than in admitting that Jesus was God, even though they knew it was true. Now, hey, look. That's been me before. That's been some of us. We're in a situation. We're not looking to make it really obvious that we're a serious Christ follower because that would be awkward. Right? And it would. And it will. Don't get me wrong. It might. But if you care more about the praise of men, praise of people, than the, than the praise of God, you've got a problem. Because you're going to be with him eternally. Right? You and God, that's eternity. You might want to think about that when you decide whose praise is more important. Galatians 1.10, for do I not persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, would I, would, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Listen, who are you a slave to? Who are you a bondservant to? If you need the approval of other people to feel valuable, you are a slave to your own need for affection and to other people who can give it to you or not give it to you. you. You become a slave to them. And if you're a slave to them, I'm sorry, but you can't also be a slave to Christ. If you're getting your approval and your value from Jesus, you can be a slave to him, which is where you ought to be since he's the only one who can truly give that to you. But if you're looking for it from other people, you have become a bondservant and a slave to that. And some of you know what this cycle feels like. 
It's like an addiction. It's like an addiction. You do feel like a slave. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart. As to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. Not, I get to the office just a minute before everybody else so that they think I've been there for hours before everybody else. And then I wait until everybody else has left, but I leave one minute after everybody else has left so they think I stay hours afterward. It's eye service. Wow, it looks like old David's working really hard. He's working harder than anybody else. It's like, no, I'm just faking it. It's eye service. Don't do, don't do the stuff for eye service as men pleasers, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Do your service as to the Lord, not to men. Who do you owe something to? The Lord, and through him to others. But you owe it to him. Luke 16, 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You look good before people. You please the people. They lift you up. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now listen, this is, this is an important thing that Jesus is saying. If you are seeking to please people, then you're going to have to do the things that they highly esteem. Right? That's a given. If you want to make them happy, if you want to please them, you're going to have to do the things that they highly esteem. And what do you say? What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The things that people, the things that the world holds really high are things that God says are garbage, trash. People are living a, a, a gong show. It's, a, it's, a, it's craziness out there. And if you want to go out there and make them your idol... And, 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 get the, and get the pleasure that you need and the affection that you need to feel valuable from them, you're going to be doing things. You're going to have to be doing things that are an abomination to God. Again, becoming a bondservant, what? Of them, of the world, of your own passions and desires, and not of Christ. Acts 5.29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You remember this. They told him, stop preaching Jesus. They said, you, you tell us, should we obey God or man? We ought to obey God rather than man. Our job is to obey God, to please God. And what does it look like to please God and not men? Listen, it looks like caring more about and trusting more in what God has said about you and done for you than about what others have said or done. It's not that complicated. Looking to others for approval or value instead of to God for both is a trust issue. It's a pride issue. It's an idolatry issue. We've already seen that people were not made to give you your value. You know, that example with Dave sitting here, you know, trying to, I'm not even going to try it. He couldn't even, he couldn't do it that long. I'm not going to be able to either. It didn't last, right? It, that's what it's like on people when you lean on them for your value. I mean, a woman can make a man feel great by saying nice, people-pleasing, flattering things to him. But if that's all that's feeding him and his value, he will die emotionally and spiritually eventually. She can't keep it up. She cannot provide enough to fill the heart of that man. Vice versa. Man trying to be everything for his wife. Eventually, you'll be despised because you could never produce it enough. And you'll despise them because they're looking to you and trying to make God out of you. Only God can do that. If you look for food for your soul, where it can never be found, 
and ignore the love that is knocking on your door, asking to come dine with you. Jesus, right? Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He's right there. Arms open, right? Jesus is holding out his hand, loving you more than, better than any human ever could. And we're looking for our value in Facebook likes? Did I get enough little heart things on Instagram? Did enough people, whatever, tell me I look great today? Do I have enough friends? Do I have the right friends? You've got Jesus literally saying, I made you. I know everything about you. I value you infinitely. God's saying, I value you so much, I'm going to take my son, I'm going to let him die, shed his blood for you. And you're wondering if you have value? And you need to please people in order to feel it? Wow. Look at the deception that we've bought into. Time to open our eyes. Even the non-believers see the problem with people-pleasing and flattery and seeking approval from others. Even the non-believers, they see it. Unfortunately, they don't understand the true source of our value in God. And so they come up with ways to try to fix it anyway, like positive self-talk, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But the way they do it probably is. Basically, they say, look, tell yourself that you're great and you can do it. That's, that's essentially it, right? You may remember the SNL character Stuart Smalley back in the day, for those of you who are my age. And he'd say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? None of you saw that? That was good stuff. Stuart Smalley, look it up. YouTube, it's a great thing. Sometimes. Um, so he's trying to self-talk himself, right? It's positive self-talk. There's nothing wrong with speaking the truth to yourself and saying that you're valuable, but you have to know and believe in the source and the anchor of where your value comes from or the truth that you're speaking to yourself about being so great is empty. I can self-talk myself. I can be like, David, you have a million dollars. You're worth a million dollars, David. You have a million dollars. When I get my checkbook out and I write it out for a million dollars and I take it to the bank, they're going to laugh at me. When it comes time to cash the check, the source of my million dollars is either there or it's not. It's either there or it's not. You may know that it's bad to seek approval from others, but if you don't know where your approval truly comes from, it, you, may, you may think it's bad to seek your value or your self-worth in others, but if you don't know where your value and your self-worth really come from, then all you can do is chat. And when it comes time to cash a check, you don't know where to cash it. Listen, positive self-talk without an anchor an anchor in Jesus Christ will fail. If you don't have an anchor in Jesus Christ, your positive self-talk will fail when you realize there is nothing behind it to cash the check. It's not that we should be doing some sort of nonsensical self-talk about how special we are just so we can trick ourselves into feeling better. That will never work. That will never work for the unbeliever because for the unbeliever, there's nothing behind it. There's nowhere where your value is really coming from, so you're just trying to invent it. And we can't invent things by speaking them. It's not how it works. I'm not worth so much because the self-help guru told me to say it. That's fake. That's silly self-talk. But listen, here's real self-talk. I am worth so much because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ for me. That's real self-talk. 
I am worth so much because Jesus Christ thought that it was worth doing to die and suffer and die for me. How much more could you be worth? What more could you ask for? That's where I can cash the check. The one who created me, the one who told me that I had value, and the one who proved it by dying for me. That's where my value is. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be in a transforming relationship with God, and you can have a source and an anchor for your value. When you self-talk, you can know what you're talking about and mean it, not just speak mantras to try to trick your brain into feeling better. You can do the real deal. Then you won't have to be a flattering people pleaser because you'll be confident in Jesus Christ, the source and anchor of your real value, the one who said it and proved it. We're so concerned about what other people think about us. I mean, it's, it's a problem. We're so concerned about but here's the thing that I found. The truth is, you know, you get embarrassed or whatever. Something happens. The truth is, people forget about it in a couple seconds. You know why? Because they're all worried about themselves too. They're all looking for approval too. They're all struggling with their own selfish desires to feel value from people as well. They might put you down to make themselves feel more up, or they might even put you up because they self-punish themselves and put themselves down because of their own self-image. There was a Dove uh, commercial, I don't know if you guys ever saw this, where they took these, these women and they, and they had them, and I think maybe men too, but I know women, and they had them come in and, and they'd have them sit with somebody and they'd say, talk to this person for a little while. And so they'd talk to that person. And then they'd bring the person and they'd say, describe yourself. And they had, you know, one of those crime scene uh, drawers, whatever they're called, right? Artists. And so she'd say, well, I, have, I look like this. My chin looks like this. My hair looks like this. My nose. And he'd draw a picture. But then what he'd do is he'd get the person who they talked to and have them describe the person. And he'd draw that picture. So the same person, one is describing themselves. The other person is describing that person. And at the end, the pictures were so different. The way people described themselves was generally not good. But the way that other people described them was actually quite good. And so these women were coming to, I cried a little bit. These women were coming to this understanding that they don't see themselves as beautifully as other people see them, right? Everyone is suffering with this. So many people are suffering with this, right? But you'll never find peace and joy by looking for it from other people. Never. You can't. It's only in Christ that we find our value. And then only through Christ that we can learn how to love others. Because confident, passionate, humble, true love for others is actually a miracle from God. You know that? It's a miracle. We were not made to love out of our own strength. We were made to love out of the miraculous power of the love of God. It's his love that makes you strong. It's his love that gives you the ability to love. The church should be representing the love of Christ that is from God. That is why we're called to love each other. We've read this passage before. Let's read it again. John 17, 20 through 23. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Look, love for one another causes people to believe in Jesus and the Father. God has believed in because of love, because the only love, the only love with a true source and anchor that can pay off those checks for value is the love of God. And when we experience it and we let it flow through us, that is a miracle. That is a miracle. People look at the church, if the church is operating as it should, and they go, I'm, I don't feel good about myself. I'm constantly needing other people to build me up. But here I see this group of people who love each other, who are confident in Jesus, who know where their value comes from, and who are able to give true godly love to one another. And that, the only way that happens is miraculously, because it's impossible for a human to do by themselves. The only way you can truly love your spouse, your children, whatever it is, is if that love is flowing from God through you. You don't have it. Or else you're just, uh, right? Not fun. Right, Dave? It's no good. It's no good. No moss. You can't stand up under the pressure, but you need God. We are the church. We are to love. We're to love God. We're to love each other. We're to love hard. We're to serve hard. We're to live well. We're to trust God for our value and for our strength. And if we're going to become something, if 2018... And until the Lord comes back, if we're going to become something as a church, as the church, as the American church, as the Western church, as the worldwide church, if we're going to become something, we've got to stop looking for our value in other people. Some of you, it's time to just get rid of that, delete that account. That's tempting you to go find your value in what people are saying about you. It's just time to be done with that. For some of you, you need to stop asking, am I okay, from other people and start praying to God and saying, thank you, God, that I am okay. Help me to be more okay. It's time to let it go. If we're going to go forward and we're going to show the miraculous love of God in this group, in this group of people, in this room, Sunday after Sunday, life group after life group, if you're going to really experience the love of Jesus Christ, we've got to get rid of people-pleasing, flattery, desires for authority, desires for power, desires for glory. That's all got to go if we want to be his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us another week of life in you. Lord, we ask that you would show us places in our life, starting with me, Lord. Show us where we're looking to other people. We're looking to the approval of other people. We're worried about other people instead of just living for you. Like those who were so afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue that they wouldn't confess Christ. Don't let us be those people, Lord. If it costs us everything, let us give you glory. If it costs us everything, let us make your name famous. Because there's only one place where we can find our value. And it's in you. Lord, help us to stop putting that burden on other people because it's more than they can bear. And help us to stop taking that burden on ourselves for other people because it's more than we can bear. And instead, looking to you as the author, the source. The, it's literally in your nature, Lord. Love is literally in your nature. Let us just give us that with power, more and more love for one another. More and more recognition of our value in you. More and more closeness with you. If, we, if our value has to come from you and we need to feel valuable, that's the way you made us, that means we need to be close to you. I pray that we would be. Let us grow in you, in your name. Amen.
Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.